0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 355 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Saturday, November 6th, 2021. I am your host, Sam Klein. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Guys, the season tips off for Duke basketball in just three days. Duke plays Kentucky Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. I am so excited. To see this team finally take the floor in a real regular season game, Jason Evans, how are you feeling?
1: Uh, I'm jazzed. I'm ready for this. Let, let's get. Let's do it. Let's go. We got to get
0: right into it. Donald yeah. Wine is also here. Donald, uh, are you psyched? Oh yeah! This is this
2: is the start of this is this is our Christmas. The start of basketball season, and is against Kentucky. Which remember the last time we played Kentucky, it turned out really, really well at the mat, at at the guard. So I'd like to see that happen again. But that only just fuels the excitement that I have about this team.
0: Yes, absolutely. So so we are today. We're going to talk, of course about the Kentucky game that is coming up. We're going to preview that. And then after the break, we are going to share a bit of audio from JJ Reddick, who did uh, some media availability recently that Jason was able to join. So we're gonna we're gonna have some recap and reaction to JJ Reddick. Uh, he was talking about all the all the moves that he's making these days, retiring from the NBA, starting to work for ESPN as an analyst. So we'll get into that. But of course we have to preview the Kentucky game. So Tuesday night it is uh I don't know how many years it's been that they've been playing the champions classic but it's another year of the champions classic featuring four of the biggest programs in college basketball Michigan State and Kansas have the opening game at 7 p.m at the garden Duke and Kentucky will play after that so it's currently listed for 9:30. usually these games go a little bit more than two hours and they try to have a little bit like try to have half an hour. Sometimes it goes longer on the break between the games. So Duke fans hope you're ready to stay up late for a nine 45 or, or 10 o'clock or so tip. Hey,
2: at least they're doing at least something smart. They are starting at seven as opposed to seven 30. They usually like to do. Oh, okay. They usually like to set these things two hours apart and then they'll start the first game at seven 30. The second game is supposed to start at nine 30 and you go, okay, well, that means this game's
0: not starting till like, 10. That's def- definitely not happening. Right.
1: I, I want to talk about the, the weirdness and the irony of the fact that Kansas and Michigan State, which are both a couple time zones over, get the early start. <laughs> well, Michigan, uh,
3: Michigan,
0: uh, uh, Michigan, Michigan State is Eastern time. Kansas is the only one that's not in Eastern time. But Correct. yes, they are getting the early
1: game. They get the early game. That is because Duke and Kentucky is the biggest matchup. Every Like, you know, Duke is usually in the 930 game. When it's Duke and Kansas, it's the 930 game. When it's Duke and Michigan State, it's usually the 930 game. But wins Duke and Kentucky, especially. That is the absolute. In fact, um, Gary Parish and Matt Norlander were doing their season preview podcast the other day, and they were talking a little about who they're picking in the Final Four and stuff. And one of them said, "Well, our bosses at CBS would tell you that we should pick Duke and Kentucky for the Final Four every year. That would always be the highest-rated game. Duke and Kentucky, the two premier programs in the entire sport."
2: And just as a note for the people who are old heads on the DBR forums. We apologize, there will be no barbecue discussed in this podcast. Um, So just be forewarned, if you were looking for the barbecue episode, that will come a little bit later, but we're talking about basketball in this one.
0: We did get an email today though, from a listener who's attending, who's probably going to attend a Duke basketball game this year for his first time and ask us for recommendations. So uh, make sure that if you're looking for recommendations when you are coming to to Duke and to Cameron, to go to the DBR forum and read all about all the barbecue that you should be enjoying in Durham. Absolutely. So uh, keep, keep that in mind, of course. All right. So back to the actual Duke versus and, Kentucky can, can game. I, the one...
1: can, can I really quick burnt ends? My, my only barbecue advice. I love burnt ends. Do you guys like burnt ends? Oh, I like yeah. burnt ends. Go I don't,
0: I don't KC though. I, Get a Casey. Yeah. I was going to say that's not really something you're going to find in North Carolina.
1: I occasionally there there's one place in Durham where I get them that where they're pretty good. I just like my, I like my barbecue to be a little bit caramelized burnt ends. You really get some nice caramelization there.
0: Is that it for, for barbecue talk for this? I feel like we have, we we have such a big, we have such a big basketball game. We had, we had all summer to do food talk if we really wanted to. Uh, And and we had a miserable Uh, miserable season last year. I know. Terrible. Okay. Duke plays Kentucky on Tuesday night. We are going to break down a few aspects of this game that are interesting to us. So I, I will give a couple numbers before we dive into some detail. Ken Pomeroy says that this game is about a toss-up. Duke and Kentucky are both rated uh, sort of in the, in the 5 to 15 range to start the season. Neither would be considered overwhelming national title favorites, but both certainly Final Four contenders and, and annual uh, national championship. Uh, contenders Duke, of course, coming into the season, we've talked a lot about their roster and how good the recruiting class is this year, Kentucky also brings in a very strong recruiting class, not just, uh, from the high school ranks, but also a number of transfers. I'm sure we're going to talk about a handful of those guys, but I want Jason to kick off the conversation here because Kentucky, unlike Duke, Kentucky got to play two exhibition games, public exhibition games, unlike Duke, which got one public exhibition and one uh, private scrimmage against Villanova. In those two games, Kentucky beat one Kentucky Wesleyan College by a score of 95 to 72. And just last night, they beat Miles College by a score of 80 to 71. If those scores sound more competitive than they should, then, then you are listening to me correctly. They only beat uh, Kentucky Wesleyan by 23 points and Miles College by nine points. So, Jason, what happened in these exhibition games to Kentucky?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. This Miles College game, Kentucky actually trailed by seven points at the at the half. Um, Miles was really hot from the perimeter. They hit 11 of 15 threes in the first half. And so they, they had a lead. And, look, that can happen to anybody. But still, I mean, if you're Kentucky – and you're playing a Division two program, Miles College, you need to do more than beating them by nine points. Uh, Miles, by the way, got cold from three in the second half, and Kentucky came roaring back. Um, Kentucky was actually the team that was really hot from three in this game. They hit 11 out of 19 three-pointers against Miles College, almost 60% from three, and they still only won by nine. They hit 60% from three. They only won by nine against a D2 school. The story to me, in both of these exhibitions was that Kentucky was not nearly as dominant on the inside as you would expect them to be. Uh, usually when you have you know, big blue blood, blood programs playing these Division two schools, there's just such an overwhelming height difference. There's such an overwhelming athleticism difference on the inside that the smaller schools, the D2 schools, don't have much of a chance on the boards. Well, Kentucky only out-rebounded Miles by, by six, when they played Kentucky Wesleyan, they only out-rebounded them by eight. So uh, this is not a Kentucky team that looks like it's going to be a really, really strong dominant team on the interior. And, and that's only one of the ways. This is just not a typical Kentucky team. Sam, like you alluded to, this is not a club dominated by one-and-done freshmen. Um, in fact, Ty-Ty Washington is the only freshman who's expected to start for this team. Um, he is – Uh, There's also a a bouncy shot blocking big man in Damian Collins, who's also expected to get significant minutes. But Ty Ty Washington is the only sort of freshman that looks like he's going to be a one and done kind of stud for Kentucky this year, which is completely different from what they've had in the past. But as Sam Stead, they they did something completely different. They rebuilt via the transfer portal. They brought in several really good transfers, including uh, point guard uh, Severe Wheeler from Georgia. They brought in Kellen Grady from Davidson. He was an all Atlantic 10 kind of player. And they brought in um, sharp shooting wing CJ Frederick from Iowa. Um, and then the, the biggest of them is they brought in uh, Oscar Tishwebe, um, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, from West Virginia. I think Virginia. it's Shibwe. Shibwe? Okay. Yeah, Wait. Oscar
0: Shibwe. Shibwe. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a big dude.
1: He is a big guy. He's 6'9". He's got a 7'4 wingspan. Um, he is very 255. Be... Yeah. Yeah, he's,
0: he's, yeah, he's 6'9", 250, or 260. Yeah, uh, Oscar Shibwe is a dude that is hard to push around. Yes. So I, I I was gonna say, Jason, that that would be the guy that I would I would start talking about with Kentucky is that Shibwe is a I think he's a junior, uh, comes from West Virginia and, and has sort of real experience at at the at the D1, like high D1 level.
1: Um, yeah, the, dude was a double double machine as a freshman at West Virginia. He transferred in the middle of his sophomore season and didn't go for the immediate eligibility thing. So, you know, he 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 hasn't played in the past 18 months. But um, I mean, like he was—he was pretty much an all Big Twelve player as a freshman. Um, he is an elite rim protector. He's not a guy with a lot of post moves or fancy footwork, but he is just a load in the post. And he's the kind of guy who's going to score a lot on putbacks and dunks and things like that. Um, they don't have a lot else on the interior. Um, in fact, uh, six-seven Keon Brooks, um, who averaged about ten points per game for them last year, seven rebounds per game. Um, uh, is probably going to be their power forward. And he's going to be the one tasked with stopping Paolo Vanquero. I, I, Paolo is probably going to um, have a pretty good advantage in that matchup because he's considerably taller than Keon Brooks, even though Brooks is much more experienced. Brooks wasn't much of a three-point shooter, by the way, earlier in his career, but he's really worked on it. And in the exhibitions, Brooks hit four out of eight from three-point range. It looks like he's trying to expand his game as a junior at Kentucky and, and that he's going to range out to the perimeter some. Not that that's going to bother Paolo at all, but... Um, and then the only other big man they have um, who's going to play very much, I think, is 6'9 freshman Damian Collins, um, who's a really good defender. He's athletic, but I'm not sure that Damian Collins, you know, he, he's just not ready for the quality of, of, of Paulo.
0: Jason, you highlighted uh, some of the shooting, and, and in particular, Kentucky in the second half um, against Miles was able to turn it on but was cold in the first half. Donald, tell me a little bit more about what you expect from Kentucky from the perimeter in this game? Because I think I think their offense from outside is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting
2: because it's inconsistent. It was last year at least. And last year with a lot of the guys that they had, including the ones that came back, they don't have a lot of guys that can shoot well consistently from the outside. I think Damian Mintz is the returning leader uh, in three-point uh, three percentage for this team. Obviously, you have a couple of guys that have come in via transfer, but for all intents and purposes – the question about Kentucky is: Can they shoot well from the outside on a consistent, regular basis? Obviously, this is going to be the first game, so we're not going to have a you know sample size to choose from. So we can only go off what we've seen so far in the exhibition games they had, as well as last year. And their inconsistency is the only consistent thing they have about their shooting. They also don't shoot very well on the inside either. That's what they're hoping to change with some of these uh, with some of these transfers that have come in. But I think the idea here is if we can get them off of their game as far as shooting, the inside, I think, is going to be something where we is going to be an interesting challenge for us. But I think one where we have the advantage, we can keep them out of the paint and also just disrupt shots because we have a lot of long guys both inside and on the outside that we've talked about. If we can disrupt their shooting, that is going to lead to a lot of things, namely, turnovers where they are not good. They have turned the ball over quite a bit last year. And that is something that they were really focusing on during the year and could not get it done. So that is going to be where we see a lot of guys come in. And that's where I think the challenge is going to be for us in this game.
1: Uh, so I, I'm so glad you talked about the turnovers because when you're talking about Kentucky's perimeter game, they, they completely rebuilt what they have on the perimeter. Uh, the, the two guys who are going to have the ball in their hands. The most are, are Ty Ty Washington, and uh, Severe Wheeler, and uh, Wheeler's probably Wheeler's the point guard. He's five ten. He came over from Georgia. Both those guys are lightning quick. These are the kind of guys who don't even need picks to get around their man. Just their speed gets them around guys and into the paint on their own. Wheeler is truly elite at creating off the dribble. Um, he averaged like seven and a half assists per game last year at Georgia. That's a really big number. And when he beats you off the dribble, he tends to look to pass first but he is a real high risk, high reward kind of playmaker. Those seven plus assists last year came hand in hand with more than four turnovers per game. I wanna repeat that. As a point guard, this guy was averaging more than four turnovers per game. And he was, that is- he, a was serious, doing the, uh,
0: he was doing the Bobby Hurley thing. Yeah, like, exactly. Many, many assists <laughs> and, and a fair bit of turnovers. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, 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 severe Wheeler is not much of a shooter from the outside. Um, he only hit 22 and a half percent of his three pointers last year but he finishes pretty well in the lane. He can score a little bit, but his primary role is use his speed to get around you and then create opportunities for other guys. Now, the other guy in the backcourt, we got to talk about Ty Ty Washington. This is the one and done stud on this team. Uh, He originally committed to Creighton, but then really blew up in his senior year of high school and suddenly decided he wanted to look for better schools. He ended up at Kentucky. Really good outside shooter. I'm talking really good. In their two exhibitions, he was six of six from three. So this guy, not afraid to shoot three-pointers and did not miss any of them. Not a single missed three-pointer in his career so far um, in those two exhibitions. Um, And by the way, he won the three-point shooting contest at at a high school All-Star game, the Iverson Roundball Classic. He won their three-point shooting contest. No question that Ty Ty Washington can fill it up from the outside, but he is a three-level scorer. He is super fast with the ball in his hands. He's able to get into the lane. He's getting to score around the rim. Um, He led Kentucky in scoring in each of those exhibitions. I would expect him to be their leading scorer on this season. He's going to be the thing that drives the team more than anything else. And by the way, fun fact about him, he wears number three because he idolizes Allen Iverson. He wants to be the next Allen Iverson. And frankly, his game reminds you some of the great AI.
0: So Kentucky has a very quick but somewhat undersized backcourt. And what I'm looking forward to in this game, to to bring it over to how they match up against the Blue Devils, is who among Jeremy Roach, Trevor Keels, and Wendell Moore takes each of Wheeler and Washington on defense. I think early in the season, we would assume that Wendell Moore is the most advanced of those guys on defense and is, and is the most able to, like you were talking about, Jason, lock in on all three levels. And so is, is Moore going to be tasked with holding up Wheeler, who's I think going to have the ball in his hands slightly more than Washington is, uh, maybe being like the, yeah. the, the initiator of the offense is more going to be taking him and bringing a huge size advantage, but potentially a, not a quickness advantage on him, or is more going to be on Washington and is, is the defensive plan to try to limit what Ty Ty Washington is able to do because he's got a more maybe complete offensive game where Wheeler is a little bit more of a facilitator that is what I am sort of curious to see from Duke because we don't know yet because we haven't seen Duke play, you know, a a full game against elite competition. I don't know. I don't have a sense for uh, which of the Duke players is really going to be a leader on defense and which one is just merely going to be keeping up. And this is going to be where the height advantage that
2: we have on the perimeter for these guys against this, against this Kentucky team is going to come in handy because if they're going to try and pass their way out of it, then passing lanes, having your arms stretched out into the pass lane, you're going to shut a lot of things down. Because, again, 5'9", he's listed at 5'9". You can call him 5'10", if you want to. Boy's probably probably 5'7". He is going to have a huge detriment in size to anybody on the floor, roach, keels, or more. And so if they just put their hands out in the air, it, that's going to shut down a lot of angles for them to either dribble or pass out of. So I think that's the key here. If we could keep our arms extended, there's going to be a lot. And then when you talk about inside, we have a lot of trees in the inside too. And we have a lot of guys who can move, who can move mountains because they're mountains themselves. Hi, Theo, John. So we have those guys that can do that. The passing lanes are going to be the the key here when they're trying to drive around. That's where we're going to have to
0: try and find it. And don't underestimate Wheeler. uh, Though he is a transfer, he was second team all SEC last year. Mm -hmm. Like this is not... This is not a guy who's on the margins. He is, he is extremely talented. He gets a lot of assists. He's able to, to facilitate in a big way. So I, I, like you were saying, Jason, um, the way that Kentucky has rebuilt this roster via tr- the transfer portal is probably like I, I haven't looked at all the rosters in college basketball, certainly, but there's a lot of talent coming here. And Wheeler is, ju- uh, you know, next to Shibway. Uh, Wheeler is, is going to be a huge part of this team this year.
1: And, and we haven't even mentioned Kellen Grady, who is we came over from Davidson and was an all Atlantic 10 performer. Davidson, a, you know, a guy who scores an up upper double digits, good three point shooter, hits 40 percent of his threes. Um, yeah, this uh, Kentucky absolutely went through the portal. And and the impact of going through the portal is transfers are experienced. They have that big advantage over freshmen. So of Kentucky's top eight players this year, you know, the guys we project to be their top eight players. They've got three seniors and two juniors and two of those seniors are super seniors, fifth year seniors. This is going to be, you know, Duke's team is young again. That's what we've seen for the past decade. Duke is young. We're going to be playing against men playing Kentucky. We're not going to be playing, you know, uh, they're not a lot of freshmen. Like I said, on this Kentucky team, this is a very experienced Kentucky club and and the, the last thing I'll say about severe Wheeler, cause we do have to, you know, we've talked about him a lot and we should have if Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro and Theo John are helping stop Severe Wheeler, then Shibwe is going to be getting lots of slam dunks. Because Severe Wheeler, when he gets in the lane, if your big man comes to stop him, he passes. And and he's really great at that kind of passing. Um, And that's that's a bad formula for Duke. We need, I think it's Roach and Moore. We need Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach to be able to stay on and stay in front of Severe Wheeler, or this could be a long night
2: another guy who's going to bid it from for those passes. Jason is Jacob Toppin, who is the younger brother of Obi Toppin, uh, who just transferred over from Rhode Island. He got 12 points against Miles basically in that same way, just waiting in the paint and waiting for someone to drive through, dribble drive and pass him the ball. So, you're going to have guys there that may not have the size advantage over us, but they're just going to be patient and wait for the ball to come to them and see if we can they can shift us into a position where they have open
0: baskets. Yeah, Jason, you were referencing how Wheeler is going to use Shebue as his safety valve. Oscar Shebue is not an outside shooter. Oscar Shebue is is interior only. He has not taken. He's he's played. You said a year and a half of college basketball has not taken a three point shot yet. So um, he is going to be parked in the post, and he is going to be trying to push around, trying to push around Paulo Bancaro. I think this is a great first test for Paulo, uh, particularly. You know, we, like we've been talking all summer about how fun it's going to be to see him play against Chet Holmgren when we get to the Gonzaga game in a couple weeks. Oscar Shibwe is like a totally different version of big man that Paulo needs to be able to dominate if he's going to be, you know, the, the, the star that we think he is.
1: Yeah, but I don't think Paulo is going to play against Oscar Shibwe very much at all. I, I think he's mostly going to be playing against Keon Brooks and Damian Collins that um, Shibwe is going to be matched up with Mark Williams and Theo John. And he's going to have his hands full with those guys. And uh, I, the key to this game, from a Duke standpoint, I already mentioned you know, defensively, we gotta, we got to keep Washington and, and Wheeler from, from just you know, getting in the lane at will. But on offense, we're clearly going to be running our offense through Paulo because he's going to have a huge size advantage on, on the Kentucky power forwards, I think. And if they are helping on to Paulo, if Shibwe needs to come help, Mark Williams and Theo, and Theo John are going to be getting slam dunks at the other end.
0: Yeah, I, I think in this game, given the um given what we what we don't know, I think, about Duke's backcourt, because I, I think I feel slightly more um uh confident, I would say, in Duke's front court for going into the season, even though Wendell Moore is the most experienced guy on the team and he's he's in the backcourt, I just feel so good about the combination of Mark Williams and Paulo Banquero. I talked about that. Uh, a lot in the stats game about how I'm sort of you know underplaying Theo John's potential impact because of Paulo and Mark together if this game is Duke and Kentucky or are, are, are somewhat equal in the backcourt maybe even Kentucky has an edge in the backcourt in this game because of how quick and talented those those two guards are Duke hopefully I think uh, has a big advantage in the front court and and bottling up, like you were saying, Brooks and and, and Sheebway is going to be uh, big towards Duke coming out victorious on Tuesday
3: night.
2: Yeah, and honestly, look out for, on Duke's side, look out for the transition offense because as Coach K has mentioned, as we've talked about on this program before, we have four ball handlers that are usually in the lineup at the same time. You have Keels, Roach, Moore, and Bancaro. And I think all those guys can be, Guys who can take the ball off of the rebound and go. And when that happens, that neutralizes the defensive, whatever that Kentucky may have, especially with like she like he's going to park himself in the post. It won't matter for out running. We're not going to set any land speed records, but we're going to have guys that are quick enough to get out and about. And we have ball handlers that can take it and move the ball quickly down the floor. And when that happens, we will be in a great, great position to score a lot of buckets. So look out for that. I think that's going to be another key to this, to this, getting the ball really quickly, limiting them to one shot is one thing, but if we can get the ball an outlet to one of the four ball handlers we could have on the court, we'll be getting a lot of baskets that
1: way. Yeah. That's super important. Last thing I want to mention about this Kentucky team, they got CJ Frederick as a transfer from Iowa. Um, he might be the best pure shooter in all of college basketball. It's a guy who hits like close to 50% from three and basically has unlimited range. Now, it takes him a little longer to get his shot off and he's not going to create it for himself. You know, he's not a guy who's going to take threes off the dribble, but um, he can really, really, really hurt you with his three point shot in the right circumstance, especially if you're helping off of him. He has been injured. He had an off-season uh, procedure, surgery, something like that. He's been injured, has not even practiced for Kentucky, but um, after their exhibition against Miles uh, yesterday. Calipari said that he would return to practice. CJ Frederick will be back at practice starting on Saturday today. Now that that's just, you know, two days, three days before the game on Tuesday. So it's hard to say whether CJ Frederick will play in that game or not, but if he does play at all, you cannot help off of him. If you help off of him, he will bury you with three pointers. So just be on the lookout. If CJ Frederick makes it in the game, whoever's guarding him, (laughs) don't help off of a 50% three point shooter.
0: So we will look forward to Duke's game against Kentucky. Hopefully we've gotten you excited. If you weren't excited yet, I don't know why, but hopefully by the end of this discussion, you are now excited for the game on Tuesday night. We'll be back sometime, hopefully very soon after that game to recap it, because this is a big opportunity for Duke to show what they're made of against a team that is going to be a final four and national championship contender this season. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will hear from J.J. Redick, somebody who, I don't know, if you're a Duke fan, I guess you're you're probably a big fan of J.J. Redick. How could you not be a big fan of J.J. Redick? We're going to hear from him coming up after this. So as I said before the break, we are going to hear a little bit of audio from J.J. Redick, who did a press conference earlier this week. If you are keeping up with former Duke basketball players uh, in the media, you probably saw some of this coverage. But Jason Evans was in attendance for that Zoom call. And Jason asked J.J., because we haven't gotten J.J. on yet for a full dbr podcast interview we would love to at some point jj if you are listening for some reason to our show uh feel free to come on anytime you'd like but we uh of course every time we we have former duke basketball players on we ask for coach k stories. so jason jj reddick got a we got a coach k story out of jj reddick is that right
1: oh yeah and, and a really good one it's a two-part story um, I didn't expect this, but uh, you know, when when I was on the call and and JJ was mostly talking about the NBA. He, he talked a little bit about his time at Duke, not very much at all, and nothing. I don't think that's all that new to hear. Um, uh, he said he's very focused on the NBA. He he's not interested in coaching. He's not interested in talking very much about college basketball. He doesn't follow college basketball all that much. He said he follows the NBA. And and during this press conference, it was really interesting to me. Uh, there were a lot of reporters who were asking him about specific NBA. Things, teams, you know, strategies and stuff like that. You know how different players are going to fit. Man, he was polished. JJ knows the NBA really, really well as a result of having played in it for you know 15 years or something like that. Shouldn't be a big surprise that he's a, an expert on on the league. But uh, when it came my turn to ask a question, I just couldn't resist going back. So here is me asking JJ Redick for his favorite Coach K story, and you're going to love the answer. Hey JJ, this is Jason Evans with the Duke Basketball Report. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, go back a little bit to Coach K's career. Can you give me? Do you have a favorite Coach K story? Maybe something crazy he did to motivate the team. Um, I'd love to hear. I've gotten some good ones over the years, and I'd love to hear your best Coach K story as we reflect on the end of his career. I have I have a few.
3: The, The first two that comes to mind. One's really short. He got really angry in practice one time and. As you know, in Cameron, we have the seats in the upper bowl. Um, The lower bowl is just bleachers, like a high school gym that you sort of push away. And he got angry one day at practice, and he threw a Dasani water bottle across the gym floor. And it went underneath the bleachers, which seemed odd at the time, because the bleachers were pretty tight to the floor. So after practice that day, a few of us went out with a full Dasani water bottle and we tried for 15 minutes to fit a Dasani water bottle underneath the bleacher. It was impossible. I don't know how the, I don't know how he did that. I did not know how he did that. Second one, we're getting ready to play Georgia tech coming up off an emotional Thursday game uh, or Wednesday game. I'm sorry. We was at, it was, I believe it was at wake forest. We lost. I missed a half court shot to tie it at the buzzer. Um, We come in Friday night and we watched Braveheart. We've all probably seen Braveheart. It's a very visceral film. Lots of blood, lots of gore, lots of violence. We watched the battle scene, Braveheart. The first sort of main battle scene where he's fighting with the the rebels. People's heads are getting chopped off. Heads on spikes, all of that thing. We weren't sure what was happening. The next day, we come in for the pregame meeting. He plays the same scene again. He's not in the room. In hindsight, I should have noticed that there was a flower pot sitting next to the big screen. And as the scene culminates, he runs in with his army saber and screaming like William Wallace and sticks it in the flower pot. I mean, if you don't wanna go play after that, you don't have a soul. So he's always looking for for something to to motivate, but his his greatness is as much X's and O's and and understanding people as it is motivation. Thanks a lot, JJ, appreciate that.
1: So I, I, I loved I love J.J.'s answer. It's very, very funny. The, the first part of the story, I, I've never, I, I, that water bottle under the bleachers is a brand new one to me. Um, but the second half where he talked about Coach K playing the Braveheart clip and then coming in with the samurai sword and, and sticking it in the, the 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 flower pot you know so it would stick into the ground so to speak I feel like guys haven't we heard that story before did we did we hear that from Sheldon Williams
2: no no Shane Battier talked about the samurai story but it wasn't that it was before Braveheart right so, it wasn't a Braveheart story no but it I feel was like a,
1: we've heard a Braveheart story from coach from someone who was on the team also I have to wonder does Coach K like recycle these uh these motivational well, tactics every five years or so like well here's know, the thing Sheldon Sheldon it's a totally
0: and, different it's a totally different team.
2: So Sheldon and JJ Every JJ five are the, years, every five well, or six she, years,
1: you could do the same stuff all over again.
0: But here's the thing,
2: Sheldon. If we heard the samurai, if we heard the braveheart story from Sheldon, they're the same year, so that probably was the very same story. So, right, it, it's it's question of he probably has these props. And like, if you get a samurai sword, you're not going to use it just once. You got to you got to you got to break it out every now and then, and you got to figure out a different way to do it. There's a lot of, a lot of sword stories. So you can, you can bring those out whenever you want and just kind of switch it up a little bit and no one will know the wiser, but coach K he's, he's thinking, he's thinking use props more than once. This isn't, this isn't in a wedding dress.
0: You, you, you use it more than once. The challenge for coach K is that he's trying to appeal to 18, 19, 20 year old players. If he tried to do a Braveheart thing with the guys on the team now, they would be like, like, "What's that? What is that?" Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so Coach. Oh, K that, movie, their, that movie! Yeah. That movie! the whole movie back in the day. I, I would actually, I would be surprised if more than two current Duke basketball players have seen Braveheart, including the fact that Michael Savarino is on the team. And like, clearly, this is a movie that Coach K likes. It's pretty so, big,
1: pretty important movie, man. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know how long ago it came out? <laughs> I, know. I
1: know. Before all these ourselves. guys were
0: born, right? <laughs> so th- there's a there's a lot of great movies out there that these guys just won't have seen because, and I don't know, there's lots of reasons for that. But uh, so Coach K or the coaching staff, they have to stay up to date with these things because like they need to show these, they need to show these kids uh, motivational clips from things that they've actually seen. Um,
1: You think, so he's like, He's bringing out a a Thor hammer that like has a magnet. So it won't pick up off maybe, the ground, that kind of thing. Maybe.
0: I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. It's not my job to come up with these motivational tactics. So uh, I don't have to think that deeply about it, but I like that idea.
1: Yeah. So I, I was a little worried by the way, when JJ was telling the story, I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about this, but does coach K, you know, he only has like, maybe he, he recycles these things every five or six years and, and maybe we're giving it away by asking players about it, you know, the current players, if for some reason one of their friends was listening to the podcast or they were listening to the podcast, you never know. And they, you know, if Coach K tried to do the Braveheart thing, they'd be like, oh, wait, I heard about that before. They wouldn't know to expect it. But then I realized Coach K is retiring. We can spoil any story we want at this point.
2: <laughs> well, maybe maybe this is just like, you know, he's doing one, one last tour of all the hits. He's going to have all the motivational text. He's going to bring all the props back out. One last run. And like then he it. may, and who knows, maybe next year, John Shire breaks out the samurai sword and he goes, this was given to me by a friend of mine. And he told me to use it whenever I thought it would, be, you know, serve the team a purpose. And here it is. So maybe some of these props are going to get handed out. Well, These are all questions that we will have later on in the year as, as this, as this progresses.
0: When we heard this summer that coach K was getting to spend more time with the team than he ever does, because he wasn't out on the recruiting trail. I think what we're learning here, or what, what we're guessing here, is that he spent all that time with the team making them watch the movies that he is going to use as cultural references in his motivational moments,
1: Right? Yeah, that is brilliant. So he's,
0: he's, just, he's just indoctrinating them. Look, here's the question that I have about the sword. Is it a Hattori Hanzo sword? Because it's pretty good. And did... And if and if it is a Hortori's Hanzo sword, did Coach K have it made after Hanzo retired? Oh yeah, or was it was it earlier? I think like he could use. I ADA? mean,
2: I mean, I think he probably called in a few favors. And was like, look, man, I need a sword. And Hanzo said he would never make another sword. That's true, but it's Coach K we're talking about here. Who, who says no to Coach K, especially when he wants a sword? You get that man a sword.
1: Kill, Kill Bill, Kill Bill was before any of the players in the team. We're, we're, born. Yeah, I, I'm just
2: bringing up old. I'm just bringing up, I haven't even guys. to an ex- like the, And kill bill is younger than, than Braveheart. Right. Yeah. Right? Not, kill bill's I two
1: 2003 kill bills, 2003, yes. yeah. 2004. I'm not even so. going
2: back to like the, you know, intra 36 chambers and like all that stuff. Like we're just talking like recent ish samurai
0: sword. If you think that kill bill <laughs> is a modern movie, you're still too old to, <laughs> to relate to 19 year olds. Oh. Like that's that, that, that's where we're at here.
1: This conversation makes it? me feel really old. Can we leave it there? I don't want to. Wait, I, wanna, wait, I, I have one final. Anymore.
2: I one final. I have one final note. This is unrelated to swords. This is going back to JJ because uh, JJ, as we all know, is going to be an analyst for ESPN uh, moving forward, which is great. I think that's a great choice. He still has his podcast out there, which if you aren't listening, uh, always listen to that one as well as this one. But here's the thing: we said yet. Yeah, we said he has not been on this podcast yet. So I issue this plea to JJ. JJ. You if you come on this show, the three of us will come on your show. I think that's fair because that is fair. You define you are one of the people who define Duke basketball, this Duke basketball report podcast. Your podcast is called The Old Man and the Three, the old man. And there's three of us. So, like, I think it works out well if we just just have a mashup crossover episode where you're on our show and then we're on your show. So, you know, take some time. Think it through.
1: I'm we'll be here's here. the problem. The old man. I'm way older than Donald. You're older than JJ. I'm way older than JJ.
0: I'm I'm like two years older than JJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm balder than JJ, but I'm not older than he is. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know if that counts for anything. All right. We've, we've, we've done, we've gone too far afield. I feel like today. So we're going to end it there. We will be back after the Kentucky game where hopefully fingers crossed, we will be celebrating Duke's first victory of the season. And if that's not the case, that it's a learning opportunity and there's plenty of season ahead of us. So either way, it's going to be a good time. Uh, if you are going to be in attendance at the game, let us know, because uh, that would be it'd be extremely cool to hear from folks who are going to be in the arena. I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of Duke fans in attendance. None of us, unfortunately, will be able to attend, but we will certainly be watching along. Uh, stay in touch with us, of course, any, anytime you want, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, reactions to these games, Any any ideas that you have.
1: Hey, hey, Sam, by the way, we have had, I just want to mention, I'm not going to mention them by name yet because we haven't cleared with them that it's okay to mention them by name. We have had two sets of Duke fans in the past week, week and a half who have written to us and offered Duke tickets. Those, those people are going to heaven. These, these are good individuals. Twice. Thank you, going thank to have you, thank twice. You, Two of them, Wild. two sets of them.
3: <laughs> I
0: can't believe, I can't believe people do that, but but uh, I'm extremely grateful for it.
1: Oh, yes. they are they are good human beings. Thank you.
0: So, so, so Duke family, we appreciate you. Uh, stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast@gmail.com. gmail.com, rate and review anywhere that you find podcasts, blah, blah, blah. You listen to podcasts, you know how podcasts work. For Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 355 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke fans, it is Coach K's last season. It tips off Tuesday night. You could not be more excited. So until then, Duke band, take us home.
1: Hey, Dalson, what you been doing in Hawaii, man? Just hitting Uh, beaches? Or are you doing anything fun?
2: Uh, I mean, we went golfing one day, um, which is cool. We are going to the Hawaii football game tonight. Nice. Who they or I guess it's San Diego State. So it should be a pretty decent game. Uh, well, I mean, San Diego State's pretty decent. I don't, I don't think Hawaii is decent. Um,
1: I've always uh, thought recruiting to Hawaii should be easier. <laughs> like
2: if you come, well, if,
1: if you come to, you're far away
2: from a lot. I'll tell you, like yeah, but, after six o'clock here. Like you think, Oh, you, you have the whole night. Cause everything is midnight on the East, but like, it's really like, it's interesting. Cause like, we just, I just watch movies every night. There's not, I mean, there's a lot, there's stuff to do like nightlife and stuff, but like, if you're trying to do something like kick back and relax, you can't watch any sports. Cause all the sports are off. Like you have a game go on until like the latest, a game will go is like seven o'clock here. And then that's it for the night. And then all the TV show, like all the TV channels, they all go off the air in the middle of the night on the east coast so or at least a lot of them do or they just run infomercials all night so you don't have anything
1: doesn't doesn't hawaii have its own hawaii has its own tv stations they're definitely programming during prime time
2: yeah but they're only you're only seeing the stuff that was on prime time for the east coast unless you're watching it like i probably would be into tv shows way more if i lived here because at night there's no sports for me to like take my mind away from that stuff right right Whereas on the East Coast, they're all going up against some sort of sporting event.
1: Yeah, there's like, no do- NBA or yeah.
2: Um, Jason, just to give you an example, college game day this morning came on at 3 a.m. here. <laughs> and the first games the first games kick off at 6 a.m. So the funny thing, I was up at like five because I just haven't gotten used to the time change. But
1: hey, but bonus for you, it means. You didn't have to watch Duke get housed by Pittsburgh.
2: <laughs> no, well, I was following that because um, that just ended. That was, a, that was a, what was that, 9 a.m., 9 30 start or whatever.
1: Um, how does this sound? I mean, it doesn't sound great, but it sounds way That's, better than other options. It's, is it better? possible? It- people will not complain. You sound better than um, Seth Greenberg and Lafonso Ellis do on that god-awful ESPN podcast. I don't understand why that sounds audio. so bad. Have it you listened like, to it? They still haven't. Yeah, it's, the audio. it sucks. It's terrible.
2: <clears throat> I don't know who their um, producer is, but their uh, content. ESPN, is good. Is good. it's ESPN. No, no, I mean the actual person who edits the podcast. Because that shouldn't do
0: matter. That. that shouldn't matter. They have They have access to the best equipment.